Hey guys, what's up? It is week 310. I have a handful of reviews for you, so let's hop right into this. And the first one is from Severn Films, and this is a 4K. This is by Peter Greenaway, and I know him from The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover, which is a really great film, really well-made, amazing cast. Uh, you know, has Helen Mirren, Michael Gambon, uh, Tim Roth, tons of people, and it's an excellent film. And this is Drowning by Numbers, made in the late 80s, and I had not really, I had heard it by maybe by name. Um, Peter Greenaway, obviously, he's a very prolific director, he's a very popular director, but again, I'm not as familiar familiar with this work as I should be because I adore the cook, the thief, his wife, and her lover. So it's really cool that Severn is putting this one out. Um, it looks great on 4K, I must admit. Um, Peter Greenaway, he definitely has kind of a quality. You know, he's a very interesting guy. He has a quality I think is like the most immaculate stage plays ever committed to film, if that makes any sense to anyone. And I don't mean it as insult. I mean it as the utmost compliment. Um, his films always look spectacular. The cast are always spectacular. Um, the imagery is always amazing. But a lot of the stuff, when it has a lot of characters on the stage, they seem to just almost be in that way that you're watching like the most expensive, you know, huge play ever. But like, again, the cinematography is also top notch. So it's kind of like the best of both worlds, if that makes any sense to anyone. But uh, this stars Bernard Hill and uh, you know that the actors and actresses are all very familiar in this film, but they're they're like uh, very obviously well trained actors and actresses. But the, the the name the name recognition to me is not um, immediate. If that makes any sense, uh, the guy who plays in the corner, Bernard Hill, he's in um, the Lord of the Rings films. He plays the king who gets worm tongued. Um, excellent actor. He plays the corner in this time called Magit, um, which uh, the commentary Peter Greenaway said is a mixture of magic and maggot, which fits the corner because this character is such a bizarre character. So, essentially, we're uh, t this takes place in this small English town where there's a lot of strange customs and strange people, and it's very kind of secluded and isolated. But um, the there's the three sissies, all related. One's a mother, daughter, and then a niece to the grandmother, I think, or something along those lines. So there's three generations of sissies here. Uh, that is their name, not what they are. But so essentially... Um, one day, the oldest, the uh, kind of grandmother figure, comes in on her husband um, on her birthday, and he is basically cheating on her blatantly right in front of her. He is drunk, he is in a tub, and she drowns him. And she counts. And that's a big thing in this film is the counting um, and the drowning. As Peter Greenaway said in the commentary, he's terrified of drowning. And he made a few films that involved it. Um, as for the counting, it counts in the very beginning. We have a character's jump roping and they, they're counting stars. And 100 jump ropes, 100 stars. It's very awesome scene. Very impossible to memorize. I give it all, my hats off to the, the girl who did it. Although I'm sure in editing and all those kind of things. But still, regardless, it, they weren't easy words. They didn't come off the tongue very easy. Stars and everything like that. Although I think some were made up. So we start with this counting right to a hundred and throughout the film you'll notice numbers everywhere so uh Madget has a son named smut and smut is kind of peter greenaway in the film uh apparently he said it's kind of like a weird strange version of him and uh, essentially what he does is he counts all the dead bodies and counts everything that dies a violent death animals so he's marking and numbering everything and every time something dies he has a celebratory firework so it's this crazy weird movie so uh, essentially after we have the first husband who is killed the other uh, people in this family 
they kind of feel the same thing, and they kind of blackmail the coroner to doing it. Um, it's just a weird kind of comedy, a dark, dark comedy, which is also highly intelligent and well thought out. If you watch the interview with Peter Greenaway, which I think is uh, very, very interesting, but I think the commentary is even better. Because the commentary, you'll just see how educated this man is. And especially, everything is for a reason here. Everything he does is for a distinct reason. He talks about all sorts of different things and uh, how, why he picked these things, why his interest in games. He just seems to be a guy that is worldly. He knows so much information, it's insane. He doesn't seem like he's lost a step in his old age at all. And that happens almost, I, I lose steps when I'm 36. I can only imagine, you know, how I will be when I'm that age. But he's very sharp, very intelligent, and the film has a great intelligence about it. Um, and like I said, staging is immaculate as well. He says basically he likes to get all the actors and everything in their places for the start of the sh scene, but then afterwards they kind of spread around and can do what they want, which creates this really awesome chaos. There's a lot of characters in the film. They all kind of serve their purpose. They're all very memorable and they're very comical as well. Um, but it never goes uh, to the point of like, uh, it is absurdist, I would say, but not like um, slapstick or, or necessarily, I don't want to say broad, but it's very focused in a lot of ways in its humor and it's very uh, strange. And, and I think it's great. Uh, visually, like I said, it looks amazing. Um, the, act, uh, the interview with uh, Hill, he mentions that he gets to interact with like kind of three different age groups here. And when he's interacting one-on-one -on -one with them, he kind of changed his acting style or his flirting style or whatever to fit with the age group. But uh, these these women's husbands are, are horribly annoying. You can understand why they did it. It's uh, it's quite entertaining, especially the second husband, the businessman. The whole scene where she's trying to seduce him is wonderful. And uh, the, the foreshadowing is immaculate as well. Lots of foreshadowing from the counting of the numbers to the stomach cramps in the, the lake. Um, it's a great film. I, I really loved it. I, I quite enjoyed it. I would recommend people checking out Drowned by Numbers. It is the uh, UHD release as HDR. It looks gorgeous. Besides the audio commentary, which I think is fantastic, we also had Painting by Numbers interview with Peter Greenaway, which is good. Three Women and a Corner interview with Bernard Hill, which is good. We also have a Fear of Drowning archival interview, some Greenway game concepts. And these games are fucking intense. There's a lot of games and everything like that mentioned in the film and, and, and talking about the rules. And that's something that uh, Magic is very obsessed with. Which is great because there is a game within the movie counting the numbers and you're drowning by numbers you know and when you get to uh, he mentions when you're at 50 or halfway through the movie just anyway it's a really great film I think that a lot of people that enjoy British quirky films or just I don't want to say British quirky films because I think like quirky kind of people might think like a fish called wander or something it's not that it's got a dark very weird quality that it's very interesting and intelligent film at the same time as being very entertaining and well acted and everything like that drowning by numbers great stuff Okay, this next one here is from Radiance Films, and this is Filler Up with Super, and this is a 1976 French film. This is one that I was not too familiar with. You know, I kind of went in blind on this one. A lot of times you'll see, like, these 70s road films that are obsessed with cars, like Two Lane Blacktop, whatever, you know what I mean? So I was kind of just wondering if this would be kind of like a crime caper, but it, it's just kind of interesting, like, male bonding buddy road movie um, with kind of like four eccentric characters that kind of have these strange set of circumstances and go cross-country for one reason or the other. So first we follow this character in the very beginning. I believe he sells, he rents cars. He helps sell, he sells cars. And he is told by his boss that, hey, you're going on this run to deliver this car to one of our richest clients. No questions asked. You can't do it. So he basically has to go to his wife and tell her all this thing. She's obviously not very happy because they have this vacation plan. He kind of brings his friend in who is a musician. He's a singer. And he says, well, you can ride cross country with me and everything like that. And they seem to have a really kind of strong bond, I would say. It almost seems sexual at times. And it, some of the things that 
that do happen that are talked about, you're kind of like, eh, they definitely blur that line to a certain extent. So they end up meeting up with two other guys who are kind of hitchhiking across, and they decide to give them a ride. One of the guys is, um, he's recently, he's looking to meet his meet up with his kid, and his him and his wife are separate. She lives kind of in, let's say, commune and everything like that. So the whole movie is them kind of going cross-country, and they kind of have run-ins at one time at a diner, and you're just like, I was on the edge of my seat kind of in a little way, not understanding that this has like these comedic elements to me. Although, to me, it never quite reached that level of, of, of being laugh-out-loud funny. Maybe like quirky and strange, but also it feels more like just that kind of slice-of-life road drama movie with four characters that, you know, it doesn't really... It, it comes together, but it's not really that kind of movie that has like a huge point in it where there's a, a middle... A structurally, it's a giant, you know, kind of plot line. It's not really. I mean, there's story arcs with all the characters and what they're doing, but I wouldn't say that it's necessarily, you know, one huge kind of plot going on. They all have their own little stories and everything like that. Now, the lead guy in this... um, so he goes through a lot, and by the end of the film, you kind of are just like, you wish that, although, you know, what he did was kind of shitty, but you kind of just wish he would tell the person off and everything like that. But as far as the film is concerned, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good film. I thought it was well-made. I thought seeing the locations was excellent. And you're definitely cringe every time something happens to this car, you know, in the vein of driving a car across country that's not yours. You know, Hitcher comes to mind, although it's nothing like the Hitcher. This isn't a thriller. Um, it's kind of a character study buddy bonding movie, and... If you can go in expecting that, I think you will kind of enjoy it. You know, it's four men deliver a luxury station wagon on a road trip to the uh, Coast of Diars in Buddy Road. Now, I mispronounced that terribly. Movie meditation on friendship and masculinity that takes the length of France. Oh, developed over months of workshopping that can be felt from the casual and naturalistic quality of the film. Filler Up with Super was hailed by French critics as one of the greatest French films of all time. A precious secret that has freshness larger than life. And I, I can see that. There's definitely a unique quality about it. There's definitely a bonding quality about it. And there's definitely kind of just a movie where human beings are being human beings, uh, you know, black, white, gray, all indifferent stuff like that. So um, I kept waiting for this movie to have a major tragedy in it, but I won't tell you if that does happen or not. Uh, as far as the special features, we have an interview with star Bernard Crombie, who discusses his work in the film. Three 2011 interview documentaries by directed by Calvier with stars Intin Kashkot, Bernard Crombie, and Patrick uh, Bochaki. Uh, 2022 appreciation by uh, Charles de Cinema's Charlotte Garzin and newly translated English subtitles, reversible sleeve featuring artwork based on original posters and all that kind of stuff. So it is an interesting film and four different characters from four different walks of life. So good stuff. Radiance Films, Radiance Films is doing a really good job. They always have these nice booklets, a lot of information, um, some bonding moments right here. Um, and they have like, uh, so so it's like kind of like a beautiful looking movie, if you can tell like that, as far as like imagery and everything. But that's Filler Up With Super, also a great name. Okay, the next one is from Cult Epics, and you know, uh, Cult Epics puts out a lot of great stuff, a lot of international cinema, a lot of Swedish and Dutch and German films, and this one is Amnesia, and this is actually directed uh, by Martin, who's at Coolhoven, uh, cool and also comes with a couple bonus films, but I'll do this one first, Amnesia. So, this director also did Brimstone, which came out uh, four or five years ago with Guy Pierce and one of the Fannings. Um, it, that's an excellent Western, kind of, uh, with a horror kind of tinge to it. Uh, really excellent film. Now, Amnesia. I'd never seen any of his other films. I believe this is, what, 2001. Uh, so this is like a dark thriller, but it has a super kind of comedic edge to it. And I was reading online, and people were comparing it to Lynch. And yes, you can see Lynch because the eccentric characters. 
Um, but I see more Cronenberg, and and I don't see Cronenberg with a body horror necessarily. Um, I see Cronenberg with Dead Ringers, and I feel like this movie shares a lot of DNA with Dead Ringers, to be honest. Uh, you know, the one with Jeremy Irons, where he plays twin brothers. So what we have here is a brother who is told that his mother is very sick, and she's not doing well. He's a photographer, and he has constant nightmares about photography, and throughout the entire movie, you get glimpses of the past, glimpses of that incidental incident, right? That, that incidental in the very beginning. Why? he's like the way he is and he goes and meets up and his brother is there and his brother seems to be some sort of criminal and definitely involved with the criminal element and they couldn't be more different um one is more aggressive and angry and one seems to not want to face you know reality or face his problems or anything like that so in a lot of ways um they complement each other but they're both very dislikable characters they're not the most interesting characters to me I feel like Dead Ringers is kind of the better version of this movie, if that makes any sense. Or even Sisters, I like more. I, I found myself being gravitating towards more twin horror or twin kind of thrillers and everything like that. This one, though, it's a little bit more, you know, steep, I guess, and complex in some of their emotions than just a typical one's evil, one's good. Because you know what? At the end of the day, they're both horrible for for their own reasons. To me, at least. They both have their negativity. Um, the director also has a commentary on here with the lead actor, and they talk about it. But the commentary isn't more so about, you know, I don't... It wasn't the most interesting commentary, if that makes any sense. They kind of just talk about scenes here and there. And it's a little bit of a slower-paced commentary. Um, I, I must admit, I thought this movie looked great. I thought the locations were good. I thought the acting was solid. Uh, the character definitely comes across playing two different characters. Um, but the end reveal, I, I felt like this was something that I had seen done better. And that doesn't necessarily mean this movie's a negative, to be honest. Not at all. Not at all. Um, I do see similarities with the family drama, um, the dark family drama um, with Brimstone, which is a movie that has a very, very dark element of family drama to it by the same director, which I think is an excellent film. Um, and I do see similarities in DNA uh, that match up with his other films in this set, but not quite exactly. It's This one's a little bit different. Like, I would put this in a Lynchian or a Cronenbergian uh, thriller. I would say that it kind of has those aspects of it, but it's its own deal, maybe a little bit more tame. There's a couple movies. I'm trying to think. What was the one I watched from 2005 that was uh, Cult Epics put out on DVD? I cannot remember what it's called. Um, geez, it has a lot of similarities to that one, where there's a kind of I think he's a bug collector, and I think it kind of fits in the, the element with that, where it's like a dark, weird thriller um, with bizarre characters and these tinges of weirdness, but um, dark comedy as well, with kind of two unlikable brothers that are you know yin and yang, but also they are positives counter their negatives and vice versa um so i would say amnesia is it is, is solid if you're into that thing it looks great and it, the quality is is very good on this disc it sounds good and there's a commentary and there's a interview with the director and one of the lead actresses for like that's like a 40 minute one and she basically says you're he's like you know you're kind of stern he's like oh i was direct i am a director that kind of stuff and he seems like an intelligent guy to be honest um but amnesia uh, it's a good looking film um, and the cover art I love. I love the packaging on this thing. So if, if it, you've seen it or you're interested in this kind of thing, then check it out. If you love Brimstone or any of his other films, I think you would enjoy this one. As far as the second disc on the Amnesia set, we have Suzy Q and Darklight. I'll start with Suzy Q. Now, Suzy Q is a 
period piece that takes place, what, in the 60s, uh, late 60s, early 70s, maybe 67. And this follows kind of this girl named Susie and her family. And it's a family of five. There's three three kids and uh, parents. The uh, mother is some sort of model of types. The father is unemployed. He just recently lost his job. He's an alcoholic. He's, uh, he's a violent alcoholic pervert. Um, the daughter Susie seems innocent, but she's infatuated with, you know, the superstars of the time, Mick Jagger, Jimi Hendrix, all that kind of stuff like that, especially Mick Jagger. One of her brothers is kind of like a, a wannabe musician, and one of the brothers has a lot of mental issues, and you kind of see this. And the way they handle uh, a scene in the very beginning of the film where he's confronted with his girlfriend by, uh, you know, somebody else that starts making moves at his girlfriend, the way they handle that, the way they just show the knife and then show him later is really well done. And you never know quite what happened, but you kind of set this up. You set him up as a character who is very capable of violence. And I think that was really well done. I think this one is actually the best of the three movies. I think Susie Q is the best, to me, at least it interested me more because we have this this kind of like bright, a lot of the film takes place in the bright day. It's a, it's a you know, it's a, a period piece in a different country than America. So it's so different in a lot of ways. But there's a lot of darkness. There's a really nasty edge to it, and especially in the family drama. Um, I will admit that this director tends to have a lot of animal cruelty, if I'm not mistaken. Brimstone has it, um, and, and a lot of it is, you know, slaughtering of pigs. Um, Dark Light has that. And then we have, you know, a tortoise, which I think looks genuinely real in here, and I kind of was taken back, to be honest. I didn't really expect to see that. And if it's fake, Bravo, you did a very good job. I hope it's fake. But uh, so, so there's these elements that are very disturbing to the film. It got much darker than I thought it would be in the very beginning. And I think that this one is an interesting look at a dark family drama. Unfortunately, the only special feature is a trailer on here. I don't know if it's an SD put on a Blu-ray along with Dark Light. Because it is an HD, but it's not like super high quality. I don't know if it's an upcovert. But interesting movie nonetheless. The next one here is a short. I think it's about 45, 54 minutes. And it is Dark Light. And this one is more the horror one. This is a horror film for sure. Visually, it looks a lot like Brimstone, just cheaper, of course, uh, with the mud and the rain and the wetness and the coldness and that kind of dark feeling. So we have a character who uh, you think is a criminal and he's kind of sneaking on this farm and he, he ends up going in someplace and he is apprehended by the person who runs this farm, this this uh, lady. She's all by herself. She's middle-aged. She's obviously has some sort of disease where she seems to be rotting. She has marks on her face. She has, you know, a wound on her arm. And she captures this guy and puts him in shame. Uh, shackles and she's going to make him work the farm and everything like that she's very religious making him quote religious things and kind of stuff you've already seen before maybe think eyes uh eyes of my mother similar to that but a little different and uh obviously he's not enjoying this as he wouldn't but they start to have conversations and you get to learn a little bit about both of them and who they are less the criminal actually you learn more about the lady and, uh, of course, it's going to have a couple crazy moments in here, of course. There is a scene where a cow, uh, a pig, is killed, which is pretty brutal, pretty depressing. Um, and there's some really gross-out moments involving that disease and what she makes him do with it. But um, this one's interesting as well. Definitely the most horror-oriented of the bunch. I wouldn't call any of these horror necessarily. But uh, I would even say that Amnesia does have some similarities to, like, kind of like, uh, you know, surreal stuff for sure. So I think that bends on the horror line. Suzy Q is not horror at all. And this one has the elements of those kind of torture, kind of s capture stuff. But all three movies are interesting to good. Um, I enjoyed probably Suzy Q, Darklight, and then Amnesia, probably in that order. I think Brimstone's better than all three, but I think it's a nice set, and I think that it's really nice to see something, you know, by this director. After I liked Brimstone so much, so it's interesting to see some of his other films. So check it out. Uh, Cult Epics is always digging up movies that uh, you, you kind of forget about or you never heard about, and giving them really nice releases. Okay, let's get into those 1981 movies. 
Woe be unto him who opens one of the seven gateways to hell, because through that gateway, evil will invade the world.
Okay, the first one up is from Vinegar Syndrome. Some places list this as 82, but I go off Internet Movie Database, and they put 81. This is The Incubus, and this stars, uh, just Incubus, this stars John Ireland and John Cassavetes, and this is directed by John Howe, or Hugh, and John uh, Howe did Legend of Hall House. He did a couple other films. He did Watcher in the Woods from the year previous, 1980, which I covered on here, and he did um, Escape to Witch Mountain, a bunch of other films. He's kind of an underrated director, I will say, and he's an interesting guy. The interview on here is really interesting interesting really entertaining talks about his career talks about making this film obviously didn't want to directly be you know forced into horror films and he did a bunch of them but the incubus i tried to watch this years ago and i just couldn't get into it i don't know why i put it in this time around and i was kind of sucked in right away obviously it does have some similarities to the entity which came out in 82 83 depending where you're looking 81 82 83 who knows um so it shares dna with that it also shares some dna with the devonsville tear i would say kind of the small town quality the hidden secrets all that kind of stuff so if you take those two movies and kind of run them into each other you might get something like the incubus but i put the incubus above both of those movies first of all john cassavetes is a director director and he directed a handful of great films of course but he's also an actor and i first ran i knew who this guy was most people say rosemary's baby not for me for me he will always be victor franco from uh, dirty dozen he's wonderful in that movie if you don't know victor franco um so he's he's really good in this movie uh, he's always good. He plays the town doctor. He has only lived in this town a few years. Everyone else seems to have lived here for a million. Giant Ireland is the sheriff. Giant Ireland's in a million movies, and he always does a pretty solid job, except for Satan's Cheerleaders. I don't know if anybody does a great job of that Grade and Clark joint, or maybe he's kind of phones it in on that Bronson Latter Day movie, but he's really good in this. I thought he was really solid. So essentially, what we have here is um, some people start ending up murdered. You know, at first, it's a boyfriend and a girlfriend who are attacked. The girlfriend is raped violently. It's so bad that her uterus is ruptured. The boyfriend is drowned in a nearby quarry. So they're trying to figure everything out. Um, and they cannot really figure anything out at first. And then the attacks keep happening and happening. And we realize it's some sort of incubus, of course. You know, incubus is like, and, and we get to the back of this history of this town. And we realize there is some witch burning, of course. There was some really dark, shady stuff that they've covered up. And um, somebody could be the incubus. You really don't know. All signs point to John Cassavetti's daughter's boyfriend, but who knows? Um, the attacks are really brutal. They're really disturbing. There's some really wonderful shots here. Really well directed. Somebody is murdered in the in the shower, in the bathroom, and the door is closed. And we kind of follow the camera and it goes under. You can see it crack under the door and you see the shot of the person dead. You're like, mwah. That is terrifying imagery. Wonderful imagery. It's gory. It's violent. When that stuff happens, it, it really hits. Um, and the incubus itself is pretty freaking scary. Um, there's some flashback stuff too. And there's a great flashback. There's a scene where like a, like kind of like a, sta- like a, uh, set up like a, a old wax statue or something gets thrown into another one and then we see like in the flashback what exactly happened in that scene and it's recreated and you're like that's great so it's like recreating the stuff that happened in the past to it anyways this was a much better movie than expected i was kind of blown away by it. it looks really good it has a really great tone and feel the music's wonderful and there's like a, a kind of like a pop hit song in here that plays i think on the radio which and the way that played out that whole scene was great so it's violent it's scary it's weird it's just uh has two juggernaut actors in there and john cassavetes and john ireland and they do a very good job back and forth figuring out what to do vinegar syndrome did a great job with this movie i'd really recommend checking out the the incubus you know 
It's one that I had heard about. I had the old DVD, never watched it. But this one was really good stuff. Recommended, 1981. Uh, kind of a gem. You know, I know people have seen it, but it's not talked about as much as, you know, a lot of movies. There's so many great movies out there, like I said, and you can we can stop talking about the same six or seven, okay? We love them all, so let's, we already know that. It's, it's history. The next one here is uh, one that I've covered. I don't know if I've covered it. I've seen it before, though. This is a rewatch. This is Dead Kids, a.k.a. Strange Behavior. And this is a lot like Disturbing Behavior, which kind of almost is a remake of Strange Behavior. Another one from 1991. 81 and this is you know an Aussie film it's American New Zealand Australian co-production it has Michael Murphy in here Louise Fletcher um but it's supposed is Louise Fletcher in this one yeah yeah she's great she's a love interest and uh who's the who's the villain I cannot think of her name um she's gorgeous I have to look Fiona Lewis she's who's also in drum so yeah essentially this is a high school horror film but it's tried to look like Americana it's trying to look like a piece of Americana but it's clearly shot in Australia and New Zealand and those kind of areas so it never really feels like Americana but it does kind of have a small town quality to it so um, basically what we have here is uh, Michael Murphy he's in stuff like Shocker he's in a bunch of movies you'd recognize him right away he is this uh, this police officer in this small town, and his son is just like really great at everything. He's like kind of a student, and uh, almost right away, people start getting murdered in really bizarre ways. Um, one person is actually found uh, in a scarecrow with her eyes gouged out, and Michael Murphy has a history with somebody in this town who is a doctor does not like him, does not like his protege and Fiona Lewis. And he kind of starts to snoop around and blame them. His son is also involved with these kind of experiments, you know, done by Fiona Lewis so they can earn some extra cash. And you kind of come to find out that these experiments are causing some strange behavior. I'll leave it at that. Um, this is a slasher film, but it's really unique because there's multiple slashers. I do think this made a video nasty list. I don't know if it's a section uh, two or three list, but uh, you can see why, because it's kids killing kids and that's going to be bothersome. The effects are pretty solid. I know that the special effects artist, the interview on here, he didn't get that much time to work with it. You know, he's kind of sent to New Zealand and uh, he did a good job, and, and, but you know, he didn't have all the time in the world to work with it. There's a couple of reveals here. Um, I thought this was a good film, you know, and uh, this director went on to do another one in a couple of years called Strange Invaders. Um, and there were supposed to be three of them. I don't know if they ever did make the third one. I enjoyed Strange Behavior quite a bit. Uh, I definitely will watch Strange Invaders when I get to 1983, which I think also has Louise Fletcher, but no, Louise Fletcher's really solid in this. She's the love interest of Michael Murphy. They're kind of in a relationship. They're both good. Um, the young kid in here is solid as well. Uh, but yeah, there, there's some really violent, gory scenes in here. Good, solid characters. There's a choreographed dance scene where everybody dances for like five minutes. Uh, great score, I believe, by Tangerine Dream, if I'm not mistaken. And a great little small town quality feel here. You know, um, very different small town from Incubus. I feel like there's so many small towns in this review. Uh, these, these reviews. The next one won't. It's gonna, we're going to have some, some big city stuff here. But yeah, this is a really good film. Uh, as far as the uh, special features are concerned, audio commentary with director Michael Laughlin. Uh, Laughlin. Uh, audio commentary with co-writer, associate producer Bill Condon, and actors Dan Shore and Day Young. Day Young's in a bunch of stuff. The effects of Strange Behavior interview with makeup artist uh, Craig Reardon, who did a bunch of stuff. Isolated music score by Tangerine Dream. So great score, good kills, underrated horror film. Solid horror film that uh, doesn't get the love it should, you know? Uh, again, a lot of great stuff from 81. Even the mid-tier or bottom-tier ones are still solid. And I don't mean mid-tier, bottom-tier by quality. I mean by no. You know, because a lot of people, by no, a lot of people don't know. You know, a lot of people don't know these movies. Although Incubus and Strange Behavior, I would say, are mid-tier. I think most, 
Maybe not. I mean, I don't know. You know, sometimes the mid-tier ones people forget about. They, they're so obsessed with the A-list and the, and the Z-grade that they forget about the mid-tier shit, which is a lot of the good stuff in there, to be honest, and sometimes some of your favorites. Next up is uh, Night School. And this bad boy did make the video nasty list. 1981, starring Rachel Ward from The Fortress from 1985. Australian actress, if I'm not mistaken. Really good actress as well. Um, Leonard Mann is in here. Now, Leonard Mann did a bunch of Italian films, and I believe he's in a couple spaghetti westerns, if I'm not mistaken. He's the main star in here, which is kind of bizarre. And the director here, let me look at the director. Uh, it's Kenneth Hughes, who did mostly classy stuff. So it's kind of like, you know, in 81, where you have, like, J. Lee Thompson, who did a lot of Bronson pictures and B movies, but he did big movies too he and like Kate Fear he's over here making you know Happy Birthday to Me which is a slasher which I really enjoy and now we have another kind of classy old school director making Night School and I'd seen this years ago and I was like oh that's an alright film that's a pretty solid slasher nothing special now rewatching it this time right from the opening kill of the girl on the uh, what do they call those not uh, it's the one where you push them around the merry-go-rounds basically but they're the, the I don't remember it's not a merry-go-round but you know where the, you run and do it yourself and the, the killer takes somebody's head off like that I was like Holy shit. I was like, this is pretty intense. I, I did remember the twist, of course. We do also have the motorcycle killer here. Think, um, what have you done to our daughters? Welcome to spring break. They always have the motorcycle uh, helmeted killer. This one's really solid in here because it hides the identity and leaves you up at the very, a very, very much to the very end where you'd be like, it's got to be a couple of these different people here. So the plot is essentially this. Somebody is going around cutting off girls that go to this college head and putting them in water. Um, the first one ends up in a bucket, one ends up in a sink, and one, or no, not a freezer in a bucket, and, or something like that, and one ends up in a goddamn fish aquarium, and that head hits a poor turtle in the head, which is, and then the turtle proceeds to bite some of the face off. I was just like, come on now. It also has an early scene, uh, early shot of somebody, uh, kind of a weird, creepy, like, kind of, you know, uh, I guess, uh, flasher who has a Jason Voorhees hockey mask in the background. There, there we go. And that uh, also there, you know, that predates uh, a hockey mask. And um, this, this is one that does it. And then Alone in the Dark, the next year from 82, does it as well before he gets it in, um, you know, part three, which I believe is 82. So, so there we go, right? Um, but anyways, the, the killer taking the head off and we kind of figure out the the mo leonard man's trying to figure out and he's got to kind of focus down and we realize that this professor here who is in a relationship with rachel ward who is an assistant sleeps with a lot of the students and this kind of tilts her off there's a really great scene in here where they build this amazing suspense where there's these two construction workers that always eat at this diner and all the characters kind of freak with this diner and we know that somebody from this diner is dead and their head's missing and it's going to be somewhere in the fucking diner and the character is like serving them food and they find hair in the food and you're just like oh no Where's the head? Where's the head? That whole scene is built up really well. And uh, they definitely take you for a couple rides there. I thought it was really fun. Um, This is a good movie. This is a solid slasher. I mean, I wouldn't call it classy. It is a bit trashy. It has nudity. It has sex. But, um, you know, it's also well made. Like, and, and I don't mean that a lot of the other ones aren't. It, it had like, a, a, I would say like a professional quality to it unlike a lot of the other slashers which do have a homemade feel to it which i like both right but it is kind of strange to see something like happy birthday to me in night school have this kind of like old touch to something that's so new and flash in the pan so makes for a couple unique slashers night school happy birthday to me although they're generic on paper they do have that unique touch so i enjoyed this i was much better than i remembered warner archive puts out a good one uh pick this one up if you like slashers night school is a really good one 
Okay, next up is an absolute ridiculous movie. I can't remember who directed this. They say Mickey Rose because I think the real director took his name off of it. And this is Student Bodies. Yes. Now, this is a parody. Uh, there was a, another one this year called Saturday the 14th, which is parodying horror films, right? There's also Pandemonium, uh, Class Reunion, Wacko. There's a handful of these kind of like parody, horse slasher kind of oriented things. Now, Student Bodies. This movie I saw years ago, and I always thought it was so funny. This is the Olive release before it was put out on Legend. Blu-ray films along with Dr. Jekyll um what is it Dr. Jekyll Mr. I can't remember what it's called Mr. Hyde if I'm not mistaken so that one I have not seen or Hyde Jekyll and Hyde together again maybe so this one student bodies now this is definitely the parody style goofy humor you're either gonna love it or you're gonna hate it I love it I am a goofy son of a bitch and I could not stop laughing so this movie is obviously hate slasher movies in a lot of ways and the opening it's like uh Halloween night um Friday the 13th midnight and it says like at that time at all the time and it does a lot of the funny things and the killer is what the 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 breather so he's like <gasps> it's really dumb you see his pov and you also see him walking upstairs stepping on gum all the kills are absolutely ridiculous there's a kill count little thing that keeps track of all the people who are killed in the movie absolutely really silly um and my favorite character of the film is it's basically all these murders are taking place at a school high school think about it there's a lot of reoccurring gags and jokes in here like one it's always something really weird off the wall and the person like that gets me hot like funerals get me hot horse head bookends get me hot and that gag every time it came up i laughed hysterically but all the teachers and the faculty are basically the main kind of red herrings and everyone looks like a red herring the principal is fucking hilarious but the guy who steals the show is the woodshop teacher he is like super obviously bigoted weirdo and all he talks about is horse head bookends and it's absolutely hilarious he's clearly like getting off on it's like we're gonna make horse head bookends and like he's the biggest red herring but there's so many funny moments in the movie um and the end reveal is like in a, any other movie you'd be like oh no unless it's nightmare city and then you think it's the best thing ever even though 90 percent of the time you're like fuck off but when it's nightmare city it just works and this one does it but it's such a goofy movie and it has one of the best reveals um i meant best gags for me when he's like i will always be a range teacher I just think it's the funniest fucking thing ever to me. And I still say that movie, I still say that to my, I still say that line as a joke to anybody that's ever seen student bodies. Now this isn't for everybody. Like I said, there's a lot of like broad, stupid, ridiculous humor. And a couple jokes don't land. A couple jokes you're like, eh, buddy, that sucked. But then there's like three or four more and you're just like, that one got me. That one got me. So like, if you like those kind of like, I guess you would say Zuckerberg airplane kind of shit, then you'll enjoy this uh, naked gun. I don't want to say it's as good as naked gun or airplane, of course but it has its charm and if you like horror films and you love them but you can realize how stupid they can be then you'll love student bodies Next up is one directed by Richard Franklin. Richard Franklin is basically like, you know, a, a Hitchcock scholar. He directed Link and he directed Cloak and Dagger. He wrote, uh, no, he directed Psycho 2 as well. He's a really solid filmmaker. Um, he did Road Games in 1981. Now, this is an Australian film. This stars Stacey Keach and Jamie Lee Curtis. Now, Jamie Lee Curtis had a huge run in 1978 through to like 1981, right? She did a bunch of horror films, Halloween, Halloween. Halloween 2, The Fog, Terror Train, Prom Night, and then we have Road Games, right? Um, so she did a bunch of movies in this time frame. Stacey Keach, the year before, did Ninth Configuration. Excellent actor. Excellent, kind of great actor. He's really solid in this. Really, the whole movie lives and dies on Stacey Keach's shoulders here. He is an American in Australia driving a semi-truck, and uh, he has a dingo with him that's a pet. 
And essentially one night he notices this guy in a motel or hotel stand. He's ready to check in and take a nap, but he gets a call to deliver some meat because there's this big kind of uh, uh, picket on the workers not wanting to something like that, a shortage on it. He has to get it halfway across Australia or something on the other side to deliver this meat. Um, and it's, it's a double time job. So he really wants to do it. So essentially, he starts to get interested in this green van. This green van had picked up this woman, and then he see, goes by the van, and she's this guy's out in the desert digging a hole, the outback, and he's just like, what? This isn't right. So he starts to get really suspicious, basically, you know, um, rear window, a.k.a. Fright Night, a.k.a. Disturbia, a.k.a. Abominable, a.k.a. every movie you've ever seen where somebody saw something they shouldn't, and basically they have to, you know, uh, a.k.a. Eyes of a Stranger from this year as well. So, you know, they saw something, and they're getting really curious about it, and something ain't quite right. And along the way, he picks up some hitchhikers, this uh, this uh, middle-aged lady who's really funny, and he picks up Jamie Lee Curtis, and uh, she's the only one that will hear him out, and she starts hearing Jamie Lee Curtis and Quid, who he's in this, start to kind of look into this. And they definitely are trying to figure out who this guy is, but as they get closer to him it gets more dangerous and as people start to suspect him a la you know it's kind of like the hitcher in that aspect he starts to be suspected as the killer because there's people in this town that are missing heads there's missing legs they're finding body parts and the police know something's up something's not right and everybody in this territory wants to kill poor Stacy Keach's dingo because in this area they're outlawed and they're killed on sight uh, Stacy Keach is great he like I said he has to carry the whole movie he's talking to himself for half the movie and the truck being very funny uh, talking back and forth with his with his dog and everything um, and Jamie Lee Curtis is solid in it. She's pretty good in it. But like, there's one point in the movie where like there's a newscast, and it's just basically talking about the murders, and basically talking about him, and then basically talking about Jamie Lee Curtis, and then this meat pack. It's a like, guys like this is a huge exposition, or just like too many coincidences that much in a row. It's still a really solid movie. I noticed it's a very dark looking film. A lot of it shot at night, but it's very dark looking. If that makes any sense to anybody, it's just it doesn't look like it was well lit. I know it's supposed to look dark and creepy, but it just doesn't it doesn't look like it could have been re it, it looks like it could have been better remastered i never originally saw this so i don't know how it always looked i mean it's it's well lit but it just looks a little too dark the blu-ray i don't know if screen factories is better than umbrellas uh, i'm not going to upgrade i enjoy the movie but probably won't upgrade for road games good stuff it's taken from a 4k master so i think this is as best as we're going to get but we have audio commentary with director uh richard franklin kangaroo hitchcock the making of road games uncut not quite hollywood interviews with jamie lee curtis stacy keach grant page richard franklin everett day roach victor Vincent Monton and Tom Burstall. Never foreseen 19 lecture on making road games for Richard Franklin, co-producer Barbie Taylor and composer Brian May. 81 interview Franklin, 2001 interview Franklin, exclusive new interview with Stacey Keach, exclusive new audio interview with stunt coordinator and actor Grant Page, 4K restoration, all sorts of stuff. Exclusive essay by Fangoria writer Lee Gammon. Lee Gammon does a lot of animal attacks movies. He's a very educated man on Australian horror. I believe he's Australian himself. But uh, anyways, uh, this is a really solid film. Good thriller. Um, it is horror, I would say, but it's more thriller. Um, but it's just good stuff, and it kind of it keeps you invested enough. Although it's not the most exciting thing, it's a little slower. I think a lot of people will have to, you know, kind of wait for it. But I think it's a good film. Uh, and Keish is excellent. Stacey Keach is an excellent actor. Like I said, he's, he's one of the best. And Jamie Lee Curtis is solid here as always. So good one. First time watch for me. I know. I don't know why I never saw Road Games. Weird stuff. I bought this thing three times. It's the third, fourth time I bought Road Games. <laughs> 
Okay, now this one's not necessarily a horror film from 1981, but I would just be like, man, I've never covered this film on the channel. And you know, when I look at 81, there's some directors out there that are making movies that are my favorite horror directors, like George Romero made Night Riders in 81. And I covered that a while back, so I won't be rewatching it for 81. It's not really a horror movie at all, but it has a cult aspect. And this one definitely has a cult aspect, and it has more horror aspects to it than, uh, you know, Night Riders or some other things. This is, of course, John Carpenter's Escape from New York. Now, I have to say, this is kind of a classic film, Snake Skin, of course, you know, the iconic eye patch, cigar chewing Kurt Russell in this role. Now, this is probably one of the best assembled cast of all time. First of all, it's directed by John Carpenter. You got the score by John Carpenter. It's shot by Dean Cundy, but the cast alone is mwah. You got Kurt Russell. You got Adrian Barbeau. You got Tom Atkins. You got Lee Van Cleef. You got Ernest Borgnine. You got Harry Dean Stanton. You got Isaac Hayes. You got Donald Pleasance. Can you beat that cast? You got Charles Cyphers. That is by far one of the best put-together casts there ever was. Um, it's so many John Carpenter regulars, so many of these guys that I adore. Um, Lee Van Cleef has got to be one of his last roles in here. He's tremendous. I would have loved to see Lee Van Cleef live another 20 years and make some awesome fucking movies. Seeing Borgnine in a Carpenter movie is fucking amazing. I've seen this before, but rewatching it was great. You know, Borgnine worked with Wes Craven and John Carpenter this year in 81. How cool is that? Um, so anyways, what we have here, it's the future, 1997, of course. And, uh, New York has been kind of broken off. All the bridges are closed and it's been turned into like a big prison you know you've seen it before uh what is that no escape is one like that they throw all the prisoners on an island um it's just this elaborate giant prison um the president is donald pleasance and he's going flying over this and they shoot his plane down these terrorists kind of i think like crash into it they're taking over the plane he has no other way except to do this escape pod and he lands in new york but he has, you know, a briefcase with him with all this valuable information in there. Snake is a criminal. He was an ex-military. They got him in captivity. He's ready to go to New York anyways, and they make him an offer. You bring back the president with his briefcase in 48 hours, we'll let you go. But you are also have something in your veins. If you don't finish it in like 48 hours, your head's going to fucking explode. So really not having a choice, Snake Plissken ends up going there to rescue the president. He runs into a ragtag group of people that are going to help him. Lee Van Cleef is basically the guy sending him along with Charles Cyphers um, he, and Tom Atkins. He, he meets a couple people there and, and Adrian Barbeau, Harry Dean Stanton, and Ernest Borgnine, who plays this lovable kind of Gabby. And it's Borgnine. He's wonderful in it. The bad guy is Isaac Hayes, numero uno, number Number one, Donald Pleasance in this movie is fucking phenomenal, right? He's so great. Um, at the very end, Ubo no number one, number one. Uh, it's fucking excellent. So basically, you know, Snake is doing his best Clint Eastwood. I mean, Kurt Russell's doing a great Clint Eastwood of this one, the man with no name kind of deal, chewing on cigars, you know, bumping into people that he kind of knew from the past. And there's there's kind of like crazy cannibals, there's punks, and there's like a lot of violence. There's fucking landmines. It's just a really entertaining kind of action sci-fi, you know with tinges of horror. Uh, the 4K looked great, but, you know, the sound was excellent. You know, there's explosions, and there's the John Carpenter score. Um, just a great movie, a really entertaining movie, you know, very influential. This, along with Mad Max, basically inspired 10 million Italian, you know, post-apocalyptic movies, right? Um, 1997, New York City is walled. Maximum security prison. Breaking out is impossible. Breaking in is insane. Um, obviously a sequel was made, uh, Escape from LA. It's been years since I watched that one, but yeah, um, this movie is not very precious about a lot of its characters. The Vend is very nihilistic, very kind of fuck the government kind of deal. And you can get behind that, you know, uh, in any time, in any life, right? Fuck the government in a lot of ways, right? Um, especially this kind of government, but, uh, yeah. 
uh kurt russell is excellent in there uh, and like i said donald pleasance is my favorite and i i love uh borgnine and harry dean stanton's cast perfectly and i love what adrian barbo how she goes out in this movie is just is just awesome and badass you don't really expect it but uh you know great film excellent film um not my favorite carpenter i i kind of have a weird carpenter taste my my top is obviously the thing and how could it not be but i think my second is christine and then I think I probably like Prince of Darkness. I know people are like, what? And then maybe In the Mouth of Madness and then Big Trouble and then Escape from New York. I don't know. I don't know. I haven't really sat and ranked all of them. But, you know, Halloween is, is a great film, too. So it's just, uh, yeah, this one is just great. And Donald Pleasant steals the show for me. <laughs> I just love Donald Pleasant. So it's good stuff. Okay, the next one from 1981 is a Shaw Brothers flick. And this is Bloody Parrot. Now, this is a fucking bonkers ass movie. If I were to try to explain the plot to you, you'd be like, excuse me? And I would be like, yeah, I don't really know what's going on either. And and that's kind of a negative here because you can follow it, but there's a lot of characters and there's a lot of secrets and there's a lot of weird changes and a lot of supernatural elements that you're like, what was that? How's that work? I don't know. Um, maybe there's some cultural things in here that are a little bonkers, but I think in general, this movie's complete bonkers and weird. So essentially we follow this family who finds in battle, I think he finds it. It's a bloody parrot, which the bloody parrot is a strange thing that like, if you see it and you survive it, seeing it, it will grant you three wishes this is kind of like i thought it was going to be more of a monkey paw story which is typical you know but uh so the guy immediately wishes for the lost treasures he gets it and uh his son is killed in the same day we see this kind of like flashback thing here and uh he wishes for his son to come back to life tragedy strikes the family of course all these crazy things happen and and the thing with the bloody parrot is when you make your wishes they'll stay there as long as you are alive so when you die the wishes disappear so when he is killed treasure disappears so we kind of fast forward and we realize that somebody um you know is being accused of murdering this person that they didn't do it all involved the bloody parrot so he goes on this kind of long kind of like mystery kind of like detective story to try to figure out who the fuck did this and he's not responsible and the poisoning and everything and he's carrying his friend in this coffin the entire time there's a lot of good gags there he says is your friend alive he says does it matter he's my friend nonetheless and he was like that's funny it's also a hint at the film but uh as it goes on he runs into all sorts of baddies. There's a lot of sword play, a lot of weird fantastical stuff, a lot of weird bloody parrot stuff. Somebody is fucking possessed. There's a beautiful half-naked woman who wears a half-naked body thing, which is kind of interesting at the same time. And she's also possessed. And this is 81, same year as Evil Dead. But the year before, you know, I had spooky encounters of the, the encounters of spooky kind. So kind of like these weird kind of possession style, like fighting kind of things here. Um, but yeah, that happens in there. And it's just a weird movie. It's colorful. It's great. And if anybody's seen Human Lanterns from the year next, uh, from Shaw brothers the end set piece is a lot like that we kind of go in this weird kind of dungeon area where there's this nasty cannibal and speaking of shaw brothers in the early 80s man they were not shy away from the fucking maggots you know like um corpse mania they're just like throw some maggots on there somebody got the memo from lucio Fulci or something and they were just maggot and, and worming this whole goddamn thing up so there's a lot of gross maggots and, and like colorful imagery and the crazy weird cannibal fight scene but there's like two or three reveals at the end where you're like excuse me okay so that's what we're doing i don't hate it i like it it's a really fun entertaining movie I, I sound like i'm too negative on this i like it i think it's cool stuff it's got a tons of shaw shaw brothers you recognize in it it's entertaining good fights uh, some gory scenes here and there some weird twists some great imagery bloody parrot good stuff i would enjoy it and my favorite part is there's this character who has this face and like it's, it's like stitched together her faces she has this needle and she basically uses like she's like fucking ed gein girl i would call her ed gein girl she uses this face like that's in this like sewing kit she like uses it as a weapon like a tambourine face with a sewing needle on it love it uh, but that is bloody parrot next up is the patreon pick and this is gun crazy 
and I think it's a Jim Simon. Um, I believe this is 1950, and believe it or not, I've never seen Gun Crazy. How bad is that? I had never seen the film Gun Crazy. I'd always heard great things about it. I've always been interested in it. I know it's a top-notch film noir. Um, and yeah, so I put this in and we start with Russ Hamblin as a little kid. That's crazy. Cult actor Russ Hamblin. He's a young kid and he basically tries to steal this gun out of a display case in his young teenage years. And we go through this court scene and like it's a good it's a good scene because you know who this character is right away and they realize you realize so it's flashbacks and all these people are testimony and you realize that this guy loves guns he's gone crazy but he's not a violent person he doesn't hate people he doesn't want to kill anything he's good natured he's just as good at shooting guns and that's kind of what he gravitated towards you know kind of being raised by his older sister so you know he had a troubled childhood but he's not a violent hateful person but he's sent to some reform school after that he joins the military and when he gets out he immediately goes into town he meets his buddies again one is a journalist now and one is a sheriff and like he's just this charming like handsome like tall like kind of skinny guy anthony perkins style looking um and he's just super charming and he ends up going to this like kind of circus performing kind of thing and he meet he sees this girl who's like an annie oakley right she shoots out is, is annie oakley who's the one who shot all the things out regardless and shoots she's shooting all these targets and he challenges her and he wins and they hit it off right away and he starts to kind of travel with them in the circus which is a great aspect for a film noir right a lot of them do have that kind of element i know nightmare alley does but so like a traveling kind of sideshow deal and they hit it off and they're kind of like kicked out of the circus or kicked out of this kind of run because you know they they have it in with one of the guys there and you do see a real mean streak in her and there's this clown named Bluey that tells him right off the bat is like you know some guys are smart and some guys are dumb with women let me tell you you're dumb basically saying, you know, some women are not the type that you should go for. They're not for you. And she's one of them. And like that kind of idea of like somebody telling you directly that you shouldn't do this. This isn't good for you. This isn't in your best interest. But yet, hell, love is a, is a hell of a drug, right? So uh, they hit it off and, you know, she starts to kind of work on him. He doesn't want to use his gun for violence, but she promises him they won't get hurt. They're great shots. They start robbing and stealing. And before long, they have a huge kind of, uh, you know, they're, they're wanted because she ends up killing someone. And when he finds out that she did that, it like breaks his heart. But uh, there's a great scene in this film. I will spoil it. I'm sure everybody's seen Gone Crazy except me. But there's a great scene where they're supposed to separate and, you know, they probably could get away if they separated, but they don't because it's just like that feeling of, you know, being madly and crazy and dangerous and love outlaws. And where he jumps back in the car and the way they look at each other, you're like, this is the end. They And like, I think they even know this is the end, but it ends in a really good atmospheric kind of area and stuff. And it's really tragic. It's really sad. It's like an hour and 25 minutes, wonderful runtime. And it gets everything across. That's why I like a lot of these old movies. They just hit really fast, really get in there and get their message across. They're well shot. They're well acted. The characters, you know who the characters are. You know what's going to happen, but you don't care because it's so fucking well done and it just pays off and it's just right to the point. And they show you what's going on in a lot of ways. Sometimes they'll tell you, but they show you a lot. Like if you take something for the, like the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers 56, I prefer that one over the 78 one. Because it's short, it's sweet, and it has the same message to me. Although the ending of the 78 one's vastly superior. Everything else I like better. I know I shouldn't say that, but it's true. Just because it's so creepy and 50s and just, it works. And this one is 1950 as well. And it's just, I feel like it's straight to the point. Like, and I don't want to complain about long movies being bad because a long movie can be an epic masterpiece. But nowadays, when your run-of-the-mill popcorn movie is three and a half hours long, it gets really old really fucking fast when you can pop in something like Gun Crazy and be like, I watched Gun Crazy twice. And I learned twice as much as I would from, you know, uh, that 
Netflix vampire on a fucking plane movie that was like two and a half hours long, which is like 37 story plot points. I'm just, I'm sorry to pick on that movie. It's a fine movie, but it doesn't, what the fuck are you doing here? But, uh, gun crazy newsflash. Great movie, man. I have been, nobody knew that was a great movie, but, uh, I've seen the gun crazy later on made with Drew Barrymore and James Lee Carlos a couple times. It's been, and you know, it's okay. It doesn't really stand in my head. Not like this one. This one will stay with me forever. Love the leads too. Everybody in here was great. Good stuff. Well acted. Everything was good stuff. All right. You got questions, comments, concerns, all that jazz. Ken Coakley. I agree with Nick Moo about the 60s and 70s devil movies being better. One of my favorite Hammer films is The Devil Rides Out. The scene where the satanic cult conjured up the devil was amazing. I suppose people can dismiss the scene as much as some muscular guy wearing a goat mask for effect, but it really stood out to me. I suppose one of the reasons the ones of the 60s and 70s stood out was the fact that they were a different time. I remember aunt and uncle, my aunt and uncle going to see The Omen, and when they got back home, they were still in shock. They were trying to get over the scene where David Warner got decapitated. The Exorcist was so shocking that TV spots would only run late at night. There's a famous story of Ozzy Osbourne sitting in a, the, uh, in a theater to watch the movie at least three times. My brother went every day for two weeks to see it at a local theater. At the same theater, friends of my sister and brother-in-law went to see it, and they were outside crying and holding on to each other. I was shocked by that because one of them was a guy I idolized. He looked like Alice Cooper and was a total badass who had long hair and earring and snake skin boots. The film also was a great recruitment tool for us Catholics. Paul Newman and Jack Nicholson campaigned for the Karis role, but Jason Miller was perfect in that as well as The Exorcist 3. Definitely, Jason Miller was just made for that role. A little bit of trivia, Jason Miller's father-in-law was Jackie Gleason, one of Miller's sons is Jason Patrick from The Lost Boys, and his other son is Joshua Miller from Near Dark and River's Edge, my favorite Keanu movie. I did know that. Yeah, Josh Miller's in a lot of, he's in class in 1999 as well, um, and he's in, what's the other one? Jeez, I know I'm missing one. He's in a lot of movies. Um, he was in the remake of Wizard of Gore as well. I believe he works on films to this day. Chris Harper. God, I missed uh, going to the video store with my mom. May she rest in peace. On weekends, we always rented five movies, and that's how I discovered the house on Tombstone Hill. Now I got the Blu-ray, a.k.a. Dead Dudes in the House. Oh, man, I miss my mom taking me to the video store. My mom's also passed. She was like the sweetest lady on earth. She'd like, and rent like a bunch of like cheapy rentals and everything. Yeah, that's just like the thing. Like I said, like if you could relive one day, I'd like... Make me 12 years old. No, make me 10 to 11. And I just want my mom to drive me to the video store and I'll go to the grocery store with her and we can get like KFC or something. I know it sounds like such a lame time. That's one of the days I would want to relive. Hey, my take on Dead and Buried is that it's a film based on cannabis and the whole town is in on it. It was filmed in Green Triangle, California. My guess is it's an anti-cannabis film. You know, cannabis, cannibal, that kind of deal. Reefer Madness, 1981. I do like the movie, but the subject matter is outdated. Legalized cannabis coming to a town near you. See, I don't understand where you're getting at there. Like, Dan O'Bannon, I'm sure, did some drugs in his time. I don't know if he uh, quit at one point and was not happy with drugs. But um, there's no cannibalism in A Dead and Buried. So I don't know if that's kind of like a, just kind of a joke or, or a thing like that. I, I don't see that anti-cannabis scene. There's also a scene in there where James Ferentino makes a joke to the kid that says, man, he was only smoking a couple joints. It's fine. I don't know, unless you have like more in-depth stuff like that. Um, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe that the geographical location of you know Green Triangle, California, is, is something to play into that. Or maybe Dan O'Bannon had a later day kind of. He was such a strange guy that he might have had something against marijuana later on. Um, and I never actually watched Reefer Madness. So I know what it is, the propaganda kind of crazy film. So I don't know, but I, I don't see Dead and Buried being an anti-marijuana film. Uh, wasted time to control shop. Do you ever go to the movie theater by yourself? You need someone to go with. I never have been in the movie theater by myself, but I would if I had to. Subjective Perspective Collective. Hey, brother, always listen to your weekly show reviews and updates while at work. What's the best way to contact you? Out of respect, didn't want to ask you here. Thanks again and keep doing what you do. If you ever need to contact me, look me up on Facebook, Dave James Parker. Look me up on Instagram, Mr. Parker, Twitter. I don't really do my Twitter 
too much or just you know leave a message here or something like that that's or email me at david parker 1986 at live.com mad science films loving the t-shirt thank you uh, movie junkie reviews. I was surprised at how much I enjoyed Lovers Lane, as stupid as the Birdemic movies are. Yeah, I'm a fan. Hey, you know, it's not for me, but if you enjoy it, more power to you. I, I'd rather hear about somebody enjoying something that I like than you know that I don't like, than hearing somebody hate on something I do like. If that makes any sense. Uh, Derek Smith, awesome content and mood six one six brought me here. Definitely looking forward to adding Clemanity of Snakes to my collection. Although I'm deathly afraid of snakes in real life. Awesome. Thanks. Moot's a great guy. Matthew Hale, the guy who played the photographer, was also the lead in Jack Frost 1 and 2. That he was. That he was. Um, Hudson, must watch Cherry Falls. Hicks, uh, back in uniform. And I'm not a man. I'm a lady. All this will make sense after you see it. I hope. Yeah. Um, Hicks back. Hudson, of course, he wants to see Hicks. Michael Bean. Uh, Nick Mua. Severn is offering up unconventional mechs for sure. On the one hand, you have classic gems like the Changeling and Tails to keep you awake. Then they're releasing the Birdemic box set. Best to bet on multiple horses when you're in a home media business. No doubt. Questions. Do birds freak you out too? I find that inherently creepy, the cool black eyes and bobbing heads, plus I hear they go for the eyes. Absolutely not afraid of birds at all. We used to have parakeets, and some of my friends would be over, and like the birds would fly out of the cage, and like my friends would freak out and be terrified. They'd be like, oh, and I was like, what? The? It's a fucking parakeet, bro. Um, have you explored those severed Christopher Lee box sets yet? They seem comprehensive. I have not. I will, though, eventually. And the whip in the body was uh, Devon Lavana's character crazy or actually haunted by Christopher Lee's character. So that's up in the air right there right you, that's i think that's the question um now i've only watched the whip in the body once but i think that is the question you know to interpret yourself great seeing you and jeremy together again thank you the most hated one i'm just like you when i go to the used dvd store i have everything now i save my money when i travel and find new treasures elsewhere very cool uh mike moore yeah it wasn't for all those damn boutique labels i might actually be saving some money no shit man um uh, Ilk Vomit, R.I.P. Brad Allen, R.I.P. indeed. The fight between him and Jackie Chan is legendary in the martial arts film community. It's amazing. The film itself is not my favorite, but entertains throughout. Feel the same way. Smudge, have you watched the Netflix miniseries Midnight Mass? I have not. Um, that is uh, Mike Flanagan. Hear good things. Um, it reminded me of Dead and Buried in a certain ways. Also, for some reason, when I was ranking my top 10 zombie movies, I forgot to include Dead and Buried because it's an unconventional zombie story. I think that it makes my top five, actually, only behind the Romero trilogy and Return. It's tough, man, because like when I think zombies, it's so hard to break them up. Like, I, I want to do the Romero trilogy like films. So I'm like, well, you got to have day, dawn, night. And then I got to return. Then I got to have fucking zombie. And then I'm like, what about Let's Sleeping Corpses Lie? What about Dead Alive? What about Dead and Buried? What about Messiah Evil? Sorry about that. Like, there's so many different zombie movies. Like, what do I qualify as a fucking zombie movie? But anyways, guys, uh, we're going to hop into the update. All right, here we go. A decent little update here. We got Dr. Caligari, right, from Mana Macabro. First 4K release that they did. Um, everybody's been waiting to see this one for years. That's crazy. It finally happened. Um... You know, we're living in a golden age of home media releases. Even if they are costing us an arm and a leg, you know, we're getting everything. Dr. Caligari. Really weird movie. Then we have some from the Kino sale. We got Assassination with Henry Silva, uh, Evelyn Stewart. Uh, yeah, by the director of uh, The Red Queen Kills Seven Times. So, gotta love one of these Euro crime films with Henry Silva. Can't pass it up. Love that stuff. And then uh, next up, we have Career Opportunities. Uh, believe it or not, I've never seen the entire film with this. Uh, Jennifer Connelly and Frank Whaley. Uh, Dermot Mulroney's in here, too. So, yeah. John Hughes. So, this is one that, uh, obviously, everybody remembers the freaking uh, Jennifer Connelly on the quarter horse. Of course, yeah. 
Um, so, Revenge of the Shogun Women in 3D. Thank God it's in 3D. I don't think I could watch this otherwise. Um, this one just sounded really fun, really bizarre. Looks vastly entertaining. Martial arts film. So, boom, I'm in. Um, then we have Eden and After, um, basically an Alan Robert Grolet movie, which I have a lot of his films on Blu-ray. I like this uh, kind of redemption line, so I picked this one up. This one, I believe, is from 1970, and it was one of the only ones I don't think I had on Blu-ray from him, so I grabbed it. We'll watch it eventually. Then we have uh, Derek Jarman here, The Last of England. This is the first Derek Jarman movie I picked up. I've always wanted to see his version of Sebastian, but uh, yeah. This is supposed to be really bizarre. Tilda Swinton, gotta love her. She's an amazing actress. It's supposed to be post-apocalyptic, bizarre film. So definitely into that movie if I don't break it. Um, then we have Nick the Sting here. Luke Miranda, Jay Lee, uh, Lee J. Cobb uh, by Fernando Del Leo. Had to pick it up. Raro Films here. Looks like an absolute blast. You know, I love the Euro crime stuff. Fernando Del Leo doesn't disappoint. Luke Miranda, uh, a French actor. He's in a bunch of these. And last is J.C. Preached love, lived violence. In color. Thank God. J.C. and his disciples were a gang of broads, bikes, and blacks. So, that's this one looks like one of these kind of like 70s exploitation movies that's like all about free love and it just ends on a really crazy like southern kind of crazy thing it's got fucking slim pickings in it i'm in i'm totally in here dude slim pickings love this stuff so this looks really good uh jc anyways that is my update back to the video all right guys thank you very much for watching and as always have a good one Meh.